Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete and I'll go by the name of AFR Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on episode 12 as co-host is a man you know on Twitter as JeppaDT. Welcome to the show, Jep. Thanks, Pete. How's everything over in Perth these days? It's bloody warm today. 41 over here, if not hotter. Hot but um, other than that, well, you wouldn't want to do pre-season runarounds and training in 41 degrees. So, But other than that, no, all is great. My pre-season consists of air-conditioning apartment living. <laughs> yeah. The way to live in Melbourne City, eh? Correct. On this episode, Jeffrey and I are going to discuss recent news and notes since episode 11, plus a few more AFL fantasy-related topics. We are recording this podcast on Tuesday evening, February 4th. Of course, when further updates come to hand, sharp coaches will know to adjust their thoughts. We'll start with player news and updates. Jack Stephen, he's priced at 653k. He's a mid-forward. He was signalled for a calf injury, which was approximately three to four weeks ago. His training loads have increased once again. There were several incorrect reports, including the timing of the injury and the type of injury. Fantasy coaches need to stay sharp and trust accurate reporting only. He's currently 13% owned yet. Yeah, so look, it's we're still well away from round one. So there's there's plenty of time for him to get fit and healthy. Um, there's no concerns from my end, Pete. What about you? Not for me. I still see a, a high midfield usage predicted for Stephen. I'm not too concerned about his injury, which was end of 2019, early 2020. What's pretty important there is obviously the news and how it broke and obviously fantasy coaches being aware that this was several weeks ago and not just last week. For me, he still should be high on the radar for many. Uh, Nakai Cockatoo uh, was mentioned um, by Patrick Dangerfield as having a pretty solid pre-season. His mid-forward is 255k. Danger said last week he'll play that sort of half-forward role and a roll through the midfield. He's currently 21% owned, Jeb, under 300k, and possible as a mid-forward, we can slot him in the forward line. Your thoughts there? Oh, look, he's he's definitely on the radar for the rooks in the forward line. Um, I question his scoring ability, though. You know, he's an impact player, powerful unit, but not an accumulator. So we're paying a lot for someone likely to average in the low 60s at best. Correct. Patrick Dangerfield, he's a mid-only, 798k. It's sounding like he's going to play a similar percentage role of midfield forward compared to last year. He's currently 17% owned, Jeff. Yeah, look, another one. Um, got to keep our eye on. I... Um, I, I wake up each day and I change my mind on danger. I I don't think Chris Scott will want to load him in the, in the midfield too much. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, the the easy assumption to make is, you know, Tim Kelly out, more more possessions for Dangerfield. I don't think that's going to really be the case. I think Dangerfield game, game doesn't really change. His, his, um, his plan up forward and time time up forward, I should say, will be pretty consistent with 2019. So, mm-hmm. 
look, he'll be still up there. He'll have the games where he scores 150-odd. Um, but, yeah, he's on my watch list. <laughs> There's been a lot of times this preseason where I've had him on my team, um, but um, at the moment he's not in. What we know about the Cats is that they spread their centre-bouts attendances over quite a few players. I agree that for the similar role compared to last year, he's on my watch list, 17% owned. It's not a negative for him at this stage, so he's one to look out for me. Moving on to Richmond, Marley and Pickett. He's mid-only, 170k. Neil Baum said this last week. He'll be bigger and better. He's training really well. Looks fit as a fiddle. We think he'll be outstanding. We'll see a lot of him this year. He's 59% on Jeb. We're both probably having slotted in our team right now. Yeah, everyone should have him. Just really lock and load and, and don't even waste time thinking about it. Have him on your field. He, um, he's going to be a, a great cash cow for all. Agreed. Thompson Dow, he's mid only, 230k. Tigers development coach Sam Lonigan said last week he's moving really well at the moment. His body is in really good shape. He's currently 0% owned. I was quite impressed by his under-18 championships last year, Jep. If he's named for the Tigers at some stage throughout this year, I believe he's a good downgrade target for me. Yeah, I think we both um, agree that he's not likely to be there round one unless... An injury curse hits hits Tigerland, but um, yeah, Dow will be one to watch during the season for sure. He'll he'll play three, four, five games maybe, um, depending on his form and injuries, of course. But yeah, definitely quality kid um, in a quality team at that. So one to look out for. Moving on to Raleigh Collier Dawkins, he's mid only one seventy k. He was solid in the VFL last season. Tigers development coach Sam Lonigan said of Collier Dawkins. That he's flying at the moment, he's improved on last year. He's currently 5% owned. We're probably both pretty high on Collier Dawkins, Jep. We are. And you know what I love? I've told you this a hundred times. When I love Rooks, I love their ability to tackle. And Collier Dawkins can tackle very, very well. So um, it's half the battle with the scoring, of the fantasy scoring, of course. So... To be totally honest, and to the listeners, and give a bit of an insight, he's my uh, M8, so it's um, it's all happening. Uh, he was solid in a VFL grand final last year, and I think that will hold him in good stead for the beginning of the 2019 season. Moving on to Camden McIntosh, his mid only 468k, lower grade syndesmosis angle injury, no timeline on his return but opportunities would open up at the Tigers if he missed the opening part of the season. Moving on to the Kangaroos. Aiden Bonner, mid-forward, 333k. Jack Siebel said last week, I would like to see him in our midfield pretty early on. He gives us a bit of flexibility. He's got the ability to go forward. He's an exciting prospect. Bonner is 12% owned, Jep. Any chance for you? Nah, none for me. Again, like Cockatoo, he's, he's an impact player, but a better quality impact player, in my opinion. Um, Fantasy-wise, I'm, I'm referencing, of course, not football ability. Um, and, yeah, 333k to spend is, a bit, is high risk, in my opinion. Um, looking at his Neeful stats last year, they weren't super crash hot for the Neeful. So um, it's a no for me. Pretty, pretty firm though, actually. Yeah, I suspect if we see a, a pretty good outing in the pre-season games, I might be more interested than what I am now. 
at 12% ownership, that's actually quite high for somebody at 333k. Moving on to Sydney, Isaac Heaney fractured his thumb last week. He's mid-forward, 666k. He will continue running. Uh, it's just a matter of ball handling in the early part of the season. He's currently 7% owned, Jeff. Yeah, look, um, bit of a bit of a shame for Heaney. Mm-hmm. Um, but what door does that open up for any youngsters early? They've got a lot of um, second, thirty players at the Swans that they've got to probably get games into this year. So, um, from a rookie sense, I don't think it means too much. I think Dylan Stevens is is all but secured a round one berth, in my opinion, looking at their list. But it's got a lot to play, lots to play out in that sense. Um, but yeah, who knows? For Heaney, it might open the door for for another youngster. Over to Freeman or Jesse Hogan. He's a forward 490k. Hogan's taking a mental health break. Does this increase the forward usage for Tabernacle and especially Lobb, thus increasing the rack workload for Sean Darcy Jep? Oh, I didn't think of it that way. I think, you know, we all know Dar- Darcy's not the lightest ruckman around, and he probably, his game, time on ground is, is probably the lesser of, of number one ruckmans, or will be this year. Um, I thought of it more from a Tabiner point of view, for him more room to roam up the ground and and get those plus sixes. So mm. yeah, I didn't really think of it from a Darcy sense, mate. I um I just look, I haven't studied Fremantle too hard. I've got to go to one of their open trainings. I'm so intrigued by their whole list and how they're going to line up. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that it's more of a perk for Tavernar and potential Tavernar owners in the forward line where, where gold is, is rare. Um, he could be one to to really boost. We all remember it was the last season where he started in, in a flurry and then got injured. So oh, he can score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. No doubting his, his well, obviously, goal sense. Um, and, um, yeah, scoring the... Um, Scoring the plus sixes up the ground, so yeah, not definitely to look at. Definitely look at him. There's two thoughts there. Jep has got the Tabernar angle, and I've got the Sean Darcy increased ruck, especially with Lob playing more forward time. So it's one one aspect to watch Fremantle over the preseason with to see how that plays out. Over to West Coast now. Nick Natnui, ruck 471k. Elliot Yo recently said instead of playing. A 70% load last season. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more in 2020. The more time we can see him on ground, the better off we are. There's no doubt about that. Jeff, he's 15% owned. For me, I can't see Adam Simpson using Nat Nui at a high rate in the home and away season, and he will likely be primed for the finals. Your thoughts there? Yeah, look, knowing my team pretty well, I love the fact of Nick Nats playing more game time, and I, you mm-hmm. know, I can't rule him out in a, in a fantasy sense yet. I just can't. Don't it. He's obviously not a top two ruckman, and he, from a fantasy point of view, um, but there is bloody good value there. Uh, but let's—they're going to manage him through the preseason. We're going to not know too much come round one. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take some pretty big kahunas to um, to start with him. Um, in your, in your you know, R2 or R1 spot. So it's a no for me for now. I think it's just too risky. 
too risky. As soon as Nick gets a little inkling of a niggle, um, you know, they'll, they'll throw him in cotton wool. I'm not that interested in Natanui, and especially at 15% ownership as we speak, even more or less likely that I will start with him. Ali Yo, midfielder, 762k. Yo had completed very little pre-season in 2019. He was mostly consigned to cardio workouts. This year, he has described his pre-season a much better position than last year. 762k, Jeb, he's currently 2% owned. Yeah, look, not for me, mate. Knowing knowing what he can do and the, just the pure talents of... Um of the Eagles midfield, he's going to have great days and then he's going to have bad days. There's just no way he's going to be a consistent midfielder mm-hmm. and fantasy scorer. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen. So, yeah, no no thanks. Fair enough. Moving over to the Hawks, Tom Mitchell, midfielder, 671K. He's currently 51% owned. Assistant coach Sam Mitchell said last week, I think you'll probably see Tom Mitchell play before round one in some form of practice match. Hawks physical manager Luke Boyd today. Tom has been reintegrating into full contact work and he was able to get 30 minutes of full gameplay with the boys recently and looked comfortable. If anything, we're now probably just trying to make sure he doesn't push himself too much given we still have a number of weeks until the start of the season. What's interesting here, Jeb, is that he's 51% owned. I am starting to get a little bit of confidence that he'll be good to go by round one. Well, it sounds like it. Um, that is great news for everyone, I think. Um, look, if he, uh, again, at this time of year, the start of Feb, 4th of February, there's still a solid, what, seven, eight weeks before round one? Mm-hmm. That's a big training block that he can get cherry ripe for. And pardoning a hiccup, he is looking like, you know, very likely to be round one. So we're going to have a lot of happy fantasy coaches. And I think if he's looking fit, healthy, he plays in the Marsh series and ticks those boxes. Um, I'm not too worried about Tom Mitchell's scores in the Marsh series. I'm worried. I'm more going to be paying attention to his time and ground, his lateral movements, um, and how he deals with the physical pressure. Um, if he ticks all those boxes, we can't say no. From where we were two weeks ago to where we are now, it's quite a lot more positive. Yeah, and a lot's happened. Like two weeks ago, I was on the no bandwagon because it was not looking. Um, was not looking good. So, um, but, well, yeah, reports have changed. So, opinions change. John Patton, ruck forward, 366k, assistant coach Sam Mitchell, said last week that we're not looking for Pado to be the linchpin of our forward line. So, he'll be used up the ground somewhat. Potentially, he's a mobile forward up onto the wing and a half forward line. He's currently 8% owned. Ruck forward status, Jeb. Any interest? Nah, none for me, mate. I um, we're looking for the big scores and consistent scores, and I don't think he's going to provide that. One player that might be of interest to you, Jeb, midfielder Finn McGuinness, two fourteen k. 
assistant coach Sam Mitchell said last week that he's a mature lad in his build and hopefully he will get exposed to some senior footy this year. He's currently 9% owned. Whether or not McGuinness plays round one is in doubt, but I suspect if he is named throughout the season, uh, he'll be a good downgrade target. Yeah, look, my prediction is it will be during the season. Um, but and, and look, a very good player. We've spoken about him a lot during the summer. Um, you studied, studied the tape of the under-18s. It's, um, yeah, it's all positive for his career long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, hope, he's hoping he's in round one. I just I can't see it happening. I can't see him squeezing him personally. Um, but that doesn't mean opportunity down the track uh, for a good, healthy downgrade who's going to score pretty well in the fantasy sense. If that Hawthorne midfield is locked with no injuries and Finn McGuinness is named at round one, I'll be starting him. Yes, as will I, because of his scoring ability. It just depends what other what, what, what else is around the traps because we're going to be pretty loaded in the midfield. So mm-hmm. we've already got Pickett. We all know about Rao, <clears throat> everyone knows about. So, yeah, depending on on how it sort of plays out um, and obviously the utility position to fill, which Finn won't fill because he's not a DPP, um, yeah, it's um, he's definitely going to be in amongst it. Bad news for Max Gorn last week. He injured his knee. He's a Ruck 826K. He's currently 11% owned. He resumed running on Monday. He will be in a brace initially and be ready for games in three to four weeks. There's pause for concern here, especially for a premium scoring ruck. Interrupted pre-seasons commonly create issues. Are we even more likely to pass on Gorn here, Jeb, for the opening half of the season? Yeah, I think so. 826 grand, it's a huge, huge risk to take him on, not knowing where his fitness levels is going to be at, at this stage anyway. So... Yeah, definitely. No, for me, um, a lot were planning without him anyway, so not a huge concern for me personally. Um, it just really solidifies the direction of the team structure I'm more taking with Sam Jacobs. I guess he, um, Gorn gets the asterisks of an interrupted pre-season now, and we've seen it uh, time and time again where throughout the year that that could create issues. Uh, hopefully not for Gorn this year, hopefully not for those that are going to start with him at round one. But there is just pause for concern. Moving on to Harley Bernal. He was signed by the SSP by the Demons today. Uh, He injured his calf there a couple of weeks ago. For more reports from Melbourne, it was only a slight calf strain. I believe, listening to the language coming out of the Demons, that they're going to play the long game here with Bernal. I'm a no that he plays early in the season. I do think he'll play at AFL level this year. He'll be a good downgrade target. But I think the Demons are going to take their time. Uh, he's a premium scoring player, Jep. Yeah, definitely. He's a premium scoring player and an exceptional talent. But if I were the Demons, I would want to see at least, minimum, a full month of solid VFL form before they consider him for senior football. Mm. So let's just all wait and see. Put him... You know, put him on a mid, mid-season target or during-the-season target. and um, But I think we're all 
accepting of the fact that he's he's not going to be around for round one. That's obvious, um, and he's going to need a solid block. And then when he is picked, it's going to be high risk, high reward, isn't it? So he's going to be a decent scorer, um, pending his actual role, which will be probably four to centre. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's um, you know the last thing we want is to start Harley Benelli pings the car from the first two minutes and. We got a, a donut or close to a donut on our field, so that, that's as I laugh about it. That's well, I shouldn't laugh about it, but um, not don't want that to happen to Harley, obviously. But that would really upset a lot of fantasy coaches and and provide actually a big swing. Um, it's a bit of a gamble, high risk, high reward. Moving on to Angus Brayshaw, he's mid only six fifty three k. He obviously injured his elbow there a couple of weeks ago and he has been in a brace. He'll continue his running training and be possibly ready for game time in three to four weeks. He's currently 4% owned. Uh, his ownership did drop on the back of the injury to his elbow. Over to the Crows, Fisher McCassie. He's a defender 260k. Matthew Nix recently said he'd be one we might want to have a look at at round one. Currently 3% owned yet. Yeah, his scoring ability is not great, Pete. So, again, it depends what's available because of his DPP um, status and and his likely um, attraction within um, within the Crows twenty two for the whole for the latter part of the year for sure. Um, yeah, I just I, I got to see him in in the Marsh series before I make a call on it. I, I'm predicting low 60s average at best, um, and that's a lot. Or oh, that's <clears throat> to get that return on such a high priced brook is is not ideal. Over to Harry Sharonberg, he's a mid to 24k. Matthew Nix recently said he'll get an opportunity at some point during the season. Sounds like a round one debut maybe on hold for Sharonberg. Uh, while he develops in the Sandfall. He's currently 1% owned. Uh, both you and I are high on Schoenberg for his long-term prospects. Hopefully there's an early debut, but it's not sounding like it's going to be at round one, Chip. Yeah, that's um, that's probably fair. Um, but yeah, look, I, I hope he comes in at around five or six because he could be a very, very handy downgrade. Mm. And get a solid block in before before the buy round. Um, he's a quality quality footballer and a young footballer. Um, so yeah, we'll um, it could work in our favour, mate. One player that might start to increase ownership is Chase Jones. He's a forward three eighteen k. Matthew Nix recently said Chase is obviously destroying it. He's smashing the two k Tom trial. He embraces the contest, which is something we are big on. A strong language coming from Nix, who is a new coach. But it sounds positive for Jones early in 2020, Jeb. Yeah, and it's positive for Chance given his hard work rate and the high work rate at that. He, again, so his fantasy score average last year was only 45 from memory. Pretty low. We're going to see an improvement on that. Um, are we going to see, you know, a 15 average point average jump is only taken in the 60s. So, again, I question the, the, the outlay. Of his, of his price for, for the likely return. I guess what fantasy coaches will be looking at from Chase Jones is his 97 points in round 23 last year. Uh, if he gets a high level of midfield usage, 
his price rise could be quite significant. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. But um, look, in that game, I'm looking at it now. There's seven marks, four tackles, and two goals. So not every day he's gonna he's gonna score two goals. Um, but at the same time, the talent's there, no doubt about it. Um, look, I look at his lowest score. He had a score of twelve in round four against the Kangaroo with just three possessions. That's a, that's a young Brooklyn in his way, obviously. So there's definitely upside. I just I don't think he's going to um, be worth the starting price. Over to Bryce Gibbs. He's a mid 600k. Matthew Nick said about Gibbs, we'll probably look at him across halfback to start the season. That doesn't mean he's locked all season to play in that same spot. We'll do whatever is best for the whole team. A change in role for Gibbs is a possibility, Jet at any stage during the 2020 season. The addition of DPP may make him an attractive option. He's currently 5% owned. Yeah, look, it's when he gets that, if he does get that DPP change, then sure, as a, as a defender, he'd be, he'd be pushing a top six defender given um, how much footy he's actually playing in the seniors. So uh, I wouldn't be touching him though before he gets that DPP switch. Paul Seedsman, mid 540k, described his preseason as the strongest yet. Uh, just on the Adelaide ball movement, there's no definitive word from Adelaide coach Matthew Nix on game style in 2020. The Crows averaged 391.2 disposals between 2017 and 2019. That was ranked equal to. Back in November, Nick stated he wanted a faster game plan. Over to the Giants, Sam Jacobs, rack 514k. Jacobs late last week. My body is really sound. I haven't missed a training session yet. Everything is tracking really well. I'm not sure exactly how the dynamic will work. With Shane Mufford, all I can control at the moment is what I'm doing. I've spent every minute on the track. I'm cherry ripe. That's all I can do. Nothing is concrete here yet, Jep. But Jacob screams value. If he can average 95 points early... That's a massive early season jump for owners. He's currently 21% owned, and that ownership is increasing. Yeah, hey, look, that's first part of um, Jacob's fitness. Huge tick. Thank you. Um, I just, there's no way they're both playing, Mummy and Jacob's are playing in the same team. I agree. It's just, it's Jacob's for me. Jacob's has been enticed with the number one wrong spot. Mumford is a little bit expendable. He's not. Again, light on his feet, um, and he's not super agile. So it's it's Jacobs for me. I don't think there's any job security concerns. Mumford is backup. He'll probably play a mentoring and coaching role as a player as well and have that role in the background and, and still have himself ready and coming in um, if Jacobs get injured, gets injured. Sorry. So, yeah, look, I, um, I don't have any job security security's concern, sorry, over over Sam Jacobs at all. I guess there for me, with the Gorn injury last week, that ownership for Jacobs has increased with the ownership for Gorn, Gorn decreasing. Also for me, is the Jacobs decision could be crucial to prospects for fantasy coaches chasing overall title. If he is able to crush early, that's a significant advantage. If he struggles early, uh, for those that fade Jacobs, 
that was a good ship not to be on. Yeah, look, it's, again, it's, it's risk and reward. I, I think it's more likely he's going to do well um, than, than not. So, oh, look, I'm pretty open to the, telling everyone that he's in my side um, and he'll very likely not move come round one. Mm-hmm. Moving over to Port Adelaide. Dan Houston, defender mid, 596k. He's been positive on his current fitness and pre-season. Said he felt a lot more comfortable playing through the midfield at this stage in his career. He's currently 28% owned. Any thoughts there, Jep? I just just don't see Dan Houston doing as well as everyone's expecting. And I think hoping he is. It's all easy and well to say someone's going to get more midfield time. They're changing from a halfback to a midfielder. You know, instant success. You know, it's 100 average. Don't miss it. Get in while you can. I just, Houston's going to have a lot of learning to do in in playing a midfield role. Um, I'm sure he's been working on his tank and, you know, I assume you'll talk about Ali Wines' shoulder pretty soon and, so the signs are there that he is going to do okay, but I don't necessarily think it guarantees, you know, ninety plus average out of Dan Houston. So, yeah, I think everyone's the fantasy community and the vibe I'm getting is that he's the best thing since sliced bread. I think we just got to tone back our expectations. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's the best thing since sliced oh, bread. Oh, you're saying he's the best thing. Well, look. So you're assured, so you feel comfortable in obviously his role and the scoring ability that he's going to provide mm-hmm. value to, say, a 90 average. Let's call it a 90 average because that's what I'm sort of banking on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. It gives listeners reassurance. I'm still on the fence. I want to see him in this Marsh series and I'll be watching bloody closely as, as many will. Uh, same here, no doubt. Obviously, we need reassurance that his scoring ability is still there and that obviously that midfield role. Uh, you mentioned Ollie Wines earlier. He's currently a mid-692K. He has undergone shoulder surgery. He's expected to miss the start of the season. Opportunities are open, especially for Houston to move up to number three in the midfield. At this stage, I still expect Jackson Mead to play a high half-forward role. His ability to open up play will be well utilised by Port Adelaide. Robbie Gray, Brad Ebert or Connor Rosie may be pushed up to number four in the midfield. With Willem Drew just returning from foot surgery to the main training group. Your thoughts there, Jip? Yeah, I think we look at, I think of Rocky and I think of the young opportunities for a young midfielder. We've spoken before about the Port Adelaide game plan mm-hmm. and... Um, they're going to play the kids on the back of Dersma, um, Butters and, and the like, um, Rosie, obviously. So it's, um, I think it presents more opportunity for Jackson Mead than it, if anything. Um, I don't think they'll throw, I don't think they'll throw him straight in the midfield. No, they won't throw him in the guts, but I think they'll, they might shift it. They might actually send like an Ebert back in the middle, yeah, um, in a different chance. role. Um, and then and then give me the half forward flank spot. It's it's an, it's an option. I'm not saying it's locked. Um, and I, I'm it's a lot of professional assumption here um, or guesstimating. So yeah, let's um, let's definitely flag it. But it ticks the Jackson Mead box 
anyway, it helps it helps the cause. I am high on the prospects, long term prospects for me, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, me too. And his ability, from what I've seen in the under eighteen championships last year, he does open up play for that forward line. So I believe that's probably the role he should play at Port Adelaide early days. Uh, moving on to the ball movement at Port Adelaide, Houston stated that the power wanted to increase efficiency when moving the ball in 2020. Last year, they were on the slow side. Port Adelaide averaged 395.1 disposals. In 2019, they were ranked two. There is mixed messaging here for me, Jet. Last year, it was Hinkley saying they wanted to slow down. This year, it's Hinkley saying, obviously through one of his players, they want to speed up. Yeah, look... Let's not read too much into it, mate. Let's let's look at the individuals of the team. Um, I think Rosie is one who's going to really boost up the ranks this year, and he wants to solidify a decent contract as a young man. Um, but the talk of, of Port Adelaide game style and the like, it's it's jargon. It's just words. It's you know Hinkley likes to be direct, a lot more direct than most coaches, in my opinion. Um, but then at times he does swing it back-to-back back in, in the back 50. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, I think let's focus on the individuals at Port Adelaide, I think. For me, the most important thing there is the messaging from Houston. Port Adelaide were ranked second last year at 395.1 disposals. In 2018, they were down at 375.5 disposals. If the words coming from Houston are correct, Jeb, there could be a downgrade in disposals here for Port Adelaide. That's the most important focus for me. Moving on to Dan Henry, he's a midfielder, 622k. He's on track to play in the first Marsh Series preseason game. He's currently 3% owned. Any chance there, Jeb? Nope. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there's a few Gold Coast players I'll read out here. Charlie Ballard, Mitch Royden, Will Powell... Jack Homsch, all injured. Homsch only got a cracked rib. Powell has undergone knee surgery. Royden's unfortunately done his ACL. And Ballard has gone under a shoulder reconstruction. Plenty of injuries there. That's going to open up plenty of opportunities, Jep. Yeah, we've got a lot of quality youngsters to play, mate. So, yep, ticking boxes from a fantasy point of view. I guess from Ballard, it's uh, potential for Jeremy Sharp. But obviously that halfback intercepting defender for the Bellardis, that that opens up a spot there in the defence for the Suns. And moving over to Collingwood, Brody Grundy Ruck, he hasn't played in recent match sim games. I don't think there's anything to be concerned about here. However, he's likely to be in a conditioning phase. He's currently 59% owned, Jep. Yeah, it's all about management, isn't it? Um... And we would know if there was a there was an injury, so nothing to worry about, mate. Darcy Moore, that might be someone of interest for you, Jeb. He's only 1% owned. He's had a solid pre-season far, but his injury history is quite poor. He's currently at 409k. Is there any interest for you there? Nah, nah. Only daily fantasy sports, um, I, I would look at him. On the Western Bulldogs ball movement. Caleb Daniel last week. Our ball movement has continued to grow since the back six weeks of last year. And hopefully we can put some big scores on the board early in 2020. Jeppe, in those final six games last season, the Bulldogs averaged 404.5 disposals per game. That was ranked second. 
if the Doggies can start to put up early big numbers in 2020, that brings a lot of players into play. So that means you're saying my, having McCray and Dunkling in your midfield is, is, is not such a bad idea? That's possible, yes. <laughs> no, look, Bulldogs have always liked, you know, have played a high-possession game plan under Beveridge, so that will continue. Uh, moving over to team disposals. Collingwood was the number one ranked team, averaging 403.6 disposals between 2017 and 2019. Home and away season only. Ranking last over the same period was Carlton, averaging 354.5 disposals. Collingwood averaged 405.2 disposals in 2019, rank one. Gold Coast averaged a league worst 343 disposals. Interestingly, Brisbane were both finished in the top five on the AFL ladder in 2019. They were both ranked in the bottom three for disposals, averaging 351.9 disposals and 352.9 disposals, respectively. The interesting trend there, Jeppe, is that uh, teams can rank high on the ladder and have quite low disposals. Your thoughts there? Well, I bet yeah, one of those teams is my beloved West Coast Eagles, who, you know, through Shannon Hearn and... They're thumping half-backs. Lewis Jetta really played direct footy. So I um, I would note game style, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't stop Andrew Gaff from getting 30 a game if we're looking at the overall team possessions, but, again, focusing on the individuals. Um, and Gaff specifically is a huge linchpin for West Coast. They rely on so much... <laughs> In the, in the running um, and breaking the lines style of play. So I think Carlton will be on the improve. I would, you know, they've obviously been in the lower half this season, but bringing back Doherty and having Jack Martin, quality, quality, quality um, players and, and kickers, um, that's, there is, you know, there's a big upside to Carlton and Carlton players and, you know, Walsh is really part of that discussion as well. He's going to benefit from from a more higher possession game plan, I would think. Um, but yeah, Collingwood again, they'll be up there. Be interesting to see what we spoke about Port Adelaide before. Western Bulldogs definitely up there. I think Adelaide's an interesting one, and we don't we don't know what Nix is going to look to and and play to, but. They might drop, and, and Fremantle as well. I expect them to drop. So, yeah, let's. Um, we need to definitely know how a team is is functioning and, and the style of play. Um, but we've got to focus on the individuals of the team. So, you know, when I think about Trelaw, I, I have comfort in spending that much money on Trelaw, given I know the Collingwood game plan and what it's likely to correlate to for Trelaw's fantasy scores. Mm-hmm. Just a few disposal differentials between 2018 and 2019. The pair were plus 19.6 last year. St Kilda had the worst differential. They were minus 28.3. Melbourne were minus 27.5. And Brisbane were minus 21.6. Brisbane was by design. Melbourne had a poor year. And the Saints also had a poor year. Power obviously slowed down their ball movement and increased their disposals. Your thoughts there, Jip? Yeah, a lot of that makes sense as you as you outlined. It's what we identify going to twenty twenty. Um, 
and who the big outliers are, like I spoke about previously. I, Collingwood and, and West Bulldogs definitely up there again, and who's going to join them? Time will tell. That article, AFL Stats, Team Disposals 2017-2019, to 2019, is available on aflratings.com.au. Uh, moving over to Team Early Season Fixture. The Bulldogs have the hardest draw in the first six rounds of the season. They play four teams ranked in the top six in 2019 over the same period for AFL Fantasy points conceded in 2019. Thoughts on Jack McRae? 29% owned. And Josh Dunkley, 16% owned there, Jeff. I've just traded them out, mate. Both of them. <laughs> Joking. Um, I've noticed the... Look, I'm trying to nail my premiums mm-hmm. and and nail them at the right time. So that information is pretty priceless to myself and the listeners. It, it will be tougher, especially, I think, for Dunkley, um, who relies more on, on the inside midfield ball where McRae's gut running and he's always going to get it no matter what. Um, so Dunkley owners should be mindful of of their, the dog start to the season. Um, but, yeah, I think McRae is pretty safe. That early season fixture for the Bulldogs. Round one, it's Collingwood at Marvel. Round two, it's Carlton at Marvel. Round three, GWS at Canberra. Round four, North Melbourne at Marvel. Round five, Brisbane at Marvel. Round six, Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. The tougher teams there were Collingwood, GWS, Brisbane and Port Adelaide who were ranked highly last year. Yeah, look, again, I, I don't think Collingwood mark too closely, um, but I, I would expect Carlton to definitely play harder in the defensive sense. So, yeah, nothing nothing further to add what I've said previously. I think Dunkley owners should be wary, um, but McCray owners not to worry. Gold Coast and Hawthorne rank two and three for the hardest fantasy draw in opening six rounds there as well. Melbourne have the easiest draw based on fantasy points from last year. Two players coaches may be interested in at Melbourne are both injured, being Gorn and Brayshaw. Oliver may be that unique to look at, but the ceiling is still not appealing for, enough for me, Jeff. Yeah, and the um, I saw a tweet the other day, I think it was from Fantasy Freako, about tap, top taps, ruck um, mid combos in, mm-hmm. of 2019, and Gorn and Oliver was third, I think. So... And not having Gorn potentially around in the first few rounds could affect Oliver's scoring as well. Um, but obviously, long-term, Oliver's going to be definitely pushing as a higher fantasy scoring mid. So, yeah, uh, I think I think Oliver just goes about his business as per normal. Um, it's just what he can average and what he's going to average. He's probably going to be around the same mark as last year, if not better. Um, the valley's not there, you're right, but he's a pretty solid pick. Um, pretty solid in a sense where you can he's reliable week to week. Demons opening six rounds of round one. West Coast at Optus Stadium, quite difficult. Round two, GWS MCG, quite difficult. The next three rounds are quite appealing. It's a Fremantle at the MCG, St Kilda at Marvel Stadium, Gold Coast Metricon Stadium, and round six back to the MCG playing Richmond. Rounds three, four, and five for Melbourne. If they start off the season quite well, could be high scoring. Yeah, but again, like we said, who 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 do we who do we go for in yeah. that side, mate? I'll throw that to you. Like, I'm, I'm, there's crickets from my end. 
Yeah, what do you think? Well, Oliver not the ceiling for me still. Uh, Brayshaw's injured, so I'm off him. Uh, and obviously just Gorn is a ruck, but yeah, the midfielder. I mean, maybe you could think of Petrarca, but that's a bit of a st- stretch still at this stage. Oh, well, yeah, yeah so agree. That's, um, that's quite difficult to pinpoint that Melbourne player. But in 2018, they had quite a few players peak, so that might be something to keep an eye on over the preseason for potential uh, breakouts. Moving on to the 2020 forecast. Teams are sending up and down the 2020 ladder that might have an impact on fantasy output. Obviously, last year we seen a big decline in Melbourne. And also, at the same point, is there were a couple of teams that started to spark up with their fantasy scores. One, in, one team in particular was the Western Bulldogs. Jepper and I are going to go through each team in alphabetical order here. We're going to bit of a, a bit of a forecast on what we think they're going to do for the 2020 season. It's a bit of a educated guess where we think they were. We're going to give them a rise, fall, hold ladder position. Um, obviously, the ones that could fall from their ladder position last year might impact your fantasy uh, players in your squad to begin the season. We start with Adelaide. Jep, your thoughts on their season? Will there be a rise, fall, or hold? It's a transition period for them, isn't it? So I think yeah. they fall. For me, I still think they'll be mid mid ladder. So it's not too much of a fall for me. Absolutely, the transition period. Scores could fluctuate between players. Over to Brisbane. Do you think they'll hold their position? Top four, big ask again from the Lions. I'll be bloody impressed if they can. I, I think they fall. Tougher draw this season. The one thing, obviously, we just mentioned earlier in the podcast is they're not a high-disposal team. So if they fall, especially being a low-disposal team, those scores like with Zorko and Neil uh, may not eventuate this year. Over to the Blues, Jeb. Do you think they'll rise up the ladder? Yeah, definitely. I think um, they, <coughs> they they got some quality in, in you know, new recruits and old recruits, if Doherty's an old recruit. I think on paper they, they're primed to, to do a lot better. Cripps is looking super fit, and Cripps is one I'm looking at very closely, my friend. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be a slight rise up the ladder, obviously with the injury news on Charlie Kuna that he may not be returning until the second half of the season may impact their ability to win more games. Uh, moving on to Collingwood, I believe that there'll be a hold, maybe even a slight fall from their ladder position last year, they pretty much back-ended into that top four position with the West Coast final and the late-season games. Your thoughts there on Collingwood, Jeb? Yeah, I think they go up. I think they they will manage their list a li- little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they go up, mate. They're going to be thereabouts. Uh, one team for me that has got red flags written all over this, they're going through a tra- transition period this year, is Essendon. What do you think there, Jeb? Yeah, I think they fall. I think... Um, Rutten's going to have some influence on game style, which is going to have some tweaks to it. So I think they fall, mate. And I think that it really affects Zach Merritt. How much by, I don't know. But mm-hmm. I don't think Zach Merritt's going to average as much as he did in 2019. Yeah, it's the Merritt. He's obviously been a little bit restricted over the preseason. Obviously, Heppel's got injuries. The Danaher on the outside, the change, change of coach throughout the preseason. Players like uh, Hurley and a couple of others that are ageing, uh, their ruck position, uh, what are they going to do in a full line with that down to her? Uh, obviously, Devin Smith's a bit of an upgrade coming back into that midfield. String will probably play forward as a result of no down to her this year. 
Uh, there's quite a lot of red flags. I th don't think they're going to be a massive fall, but they're from a fantasy perspective, um, there's a quite a lot of avoids there for me. Uh, moving on to Fremantle, obviously they've gone through a, a coaching change as well into Justin Longmuir. Uh, your thoughts there, Jep? Yeah, they fall quite quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the Nat Fife, the, the load on his shoulders, he hasn't been the most durable over the last few years, so um, I'm expecting him to fall, mate. But at the same time, from the fantasy sense, that is great opportunity for the young rooks that they have, and quality young rooks at that. They're going through, obviously, a transition period again. Uh, that midfield is pretty thin. If they cop any injuries, that could be a pretty long year. Uh, moving over to Geelong, uh, your thoughts on the Cats, Jep? Yeah, I think I think they'll be thereabouts again. I, I definitely not riding them off. I'm interested to see how they're gonna keep up with foot speed. I think they struggled with their pace on the ground, and they got the players there in Narkle and Cockatoo and and those burst type players. Now Jack Stephen is one who. Is one I could, yeah definitely see playing a, a midfield role, filling in basically replacing Tim Kelly. Um, so yeah, no, Geelong will be there, definitely thereabouts, pushing for the top four. Nine home games. I don't think they're dropping off anytime soon. Over to the Suns. Obviously, they struggled last year, and what we see with with young teams is at the back end of the season they will drop off significantly. Obviously, we're going to be targeting quite a few rookies early in the season, Jep. But I suspect towards the end of the season, it might be their position to not target those players. Uh, for me, they're a slight rise. I think long-term long -term prospects that they'll be decent under due. Uh, your thoughts there? Yeah, I'm in pretty pretty much agreeance with yourself, mate. I, I won't bore our listeners too much on that. Over to the Giants. Uh, they're pretty much having a pretty solid pre-season. Obviously lost the grand final. By substantial margin last year, they're putting up significant numbers, fantasy numbers last season in 2019. I think they'll be a rise from when they finished on the AFL later last season. And if they can have a clean and a healthy season, look out, Jep. Oh, yeah. Like, it's redemption year, isn't it? You know, the hunger's going to be there. They would be so disappointed of, of the grand final performance and the result, obviously, and how close they did get. But the... The quality of that list is absolutely insane. So, um, top fourteen, lock it in. It's not going to affect Cornelio's score. It's not going to affect Josh Kelly and um, Whitfield. It's just business as usual at the Giants. Last year, GWS scored seventeen hundred points or more in eight games. That was ranked second only to Collingwood. Obviously, we know Collingwood a high-scoring team. And that was with a pretty unhealthy list there last season, Jet. I suspect if they get it all together, it could be scary what they can put up for us. Oh, yeah, I agree. Hawthorne, there's one team there for me that I think will actually be a surprise to many. Um, I'm quite bullish on the Hawks and their prospects for 2020. They've obviously foregone the draft and acquired players of talent through other avenues. For me, they're a rise. What are your thoughts, Jet? Yeah, again, I, I can't argue with that, mate. I, I'm pretty pretty much in agreement with your comments there. Over to Melbourne. Obviously, they had a poor year last year, and that equated to a poor fantasy season. I see a rise here there this year, Jeff. Your thoughts? They have to rise, don't they? Gee whiz, they can't do any worse. Um, they, they, yeah. pretty, they pretty much packed it in early in the season when they were finished, they did. there were no chance. Yeah, definitely. When they read the, the writing 
absolutely, and then and then tried a few things. Um, would have learned a lot, but um, yeah, they've got to improve. Absolutely, no doubt. Lots of pressure um, on lots of individuals at that at the Melbourne Football Club. North Melbourne haven't been a fantasy relevant scoring team at all recent years. Under Reese Shaw, we will wait and see how that plays out. I believe they might be just around the mark, maybe even a little fall this year, Jep. Yeah, look, again, I'm focusing on individuals. There's no one really putting their hand up for North Melbourne for me. So, um, and not of appeal, a lot of appeal with game style. So, yeah, they'll, um, they should imp- they'll definitely improve as a team, whether that equates to win-loss or more wins, I should say, is um, to, be, to be seen. So, fantasy-wise, I, I'm... There's a lot of players I'm not really keen on from the Roos. As Jeff and I discussed earlier, Port Adelaide, uh, they were a strong fantasy scoring team last year. They took a new direction um, in 2018 to focus on youth, and they've played the youth last year, and they will do so again. Uh, with a potential coaching issue there this year or next year, even if they sign Hinkley on. Uh, long-term prospects for me for Port Adelaide are really good. But the 2020 prospects for me are quite volatile. Your thoughts, Jep? Yeah, I think they're going to be an uphill battle to finish in the eight. Um, they got to stick with their their, their um, five-year plan and play some kids. And mm-hmm. I think Mead and Bergman are definitely going to be playing a lot of senior footy. Um, and just, we all really know what we're going to get out of Hinkley these days. So I, yeah. They'll be thereabouts for the for the top eight, um, but again, I think we focus on Mead, Bergman, what these kids can produce. Rosie, how good is he going to be and improve this year? Houston, Brian Jones, uh, Richmond, uh, obviously not a strong fantasy scoring team. They play a defensive style game. I believe they'll be around the mark this year again. Jeff, your thoughts? Yep, definitely. Um, you know, with everyone buying into the game plan and, and their list being very settled and experienced, um, you would expect them to be thereabouts. But um, Hardwick's been really good at injecting youth at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just hope from... Uh, we, well, we know Pickett's going to be there and he's in the top 22 at, at the Tigers, but it's Collier Dawkins and whether he can cement an early spot. Plenty of talent still coming in. Obviously, two premierships in three years. St Kilda is one team that targeted experienced players through the off-season period. Uh, for me, they're a slight rise this year. They could spike quite heavily. It's a bit of a... Because they've had such a high turnover list, we we don't know what the effect that's going to have. Um, mm, absolutely. And, it, and we look at the players that... They went for hard. Like if I look at Brad Hill specifically, he's not one to kick sideways, is he? He's about gaining meters gain. So I I think it's more of a direct game plan as such. But um, you know, there's the youngster um, who's the young Hunter Clark, who there's a few keen on. I just oh, I just think it's risky with Hunt with the then you know experienced players coming in and who they've traded for. Um, but yeah, let's let's comment on that after the Masters and, and really look closely at how they want to play. Uh, the Saints did increase their fantasy output under Ratton last year compared to Richardson early in the season. The next team up there, Sydney, 
I still think it's a hold from their position on the ladder last year. Um, they're in a rebuilding phase from Egypt. Yeah, the, they should improve though. Um, and I think the emergence of Blakely up forward and hopefully a fit Franklin gives them, gives them more scoring punch and, um, you know, that, that should equate to wins. So I, I think they'll, they'll be quite, quite good this year. For me, the, the player to look out there is Ollie Florent. Uh, obviously, we've got Lloyd there, Dawson. Longmire has been strong, uh, Blakely to the wing, but obviously without Franklin, he could be moved back forward. But for me, Sydney could be around the mark of last year. Over to your team, Chip. I see a strong 2020 season. Your thoughts? Premiership. Nah, joking. Well, we, we, we're hoping for top four first and foremost. Let's just... Well, I think they're very well-placed... Obviously, I follow them closely. There's no major injuries. Um, so let's get that top four spot and go from there and make a charge. So um, everything's looking pretty good. I don't think there's going to be too many surprises there. Obviously, we need to see the transition period there for Tim Kelly. But the centre bounce group is locked in. Uh, the forward and defensive group is locked in. For me, it would have to be a pretty injury-riddled season to see uh, that much tra- change for personnel jet. Yeah, and I, I will. I've we've spoken about this a lot over the years, you and I, about Nick Natanui's influence at mm. you know clearances and the centre clearances. So if he does get injured, and he's not going to play twenty two games, we know that. Um, but if he plays fifteen, sixteen games or, or more, I think you know look out. And if he's primed and, and he peaks at the at the business end of the year, look out again. Um, I. Th- I agree. I, I we're just too settled, too experienced. You know, we traded pr- our whole future for Tim Kelly. We put all our eggs in one basket, Definitely. so to speak. Um, it's now or never. So let's we're all in the business of win, winning premierships, or uh, footy players are anyway, and and cl- football clubs. So they're going hard. So um, yeah, he's hoping from a personal point of view. One team I am quite bullish on this year is the Western Bulldogs. They were a strong fantasy team late last year, and those disposal numbers were quite high. I think there will be a rise on their ladder position from the home and away season last year. Your thoughts, Jep? I don't think there's a harder running team. Not two-way running, so to speak, but they run so they spread and run so hard mm. um, and the youngsters are buying in like Bailey Smith straight away Lipinski these young quality kids that use that find a lot of the footy are learning you know their priorities about the run and spread so definite definite improvement out of the dogs um, and you know uh, Norton gee whiz this kid that kid can play so <laughs> Um, I'd argue who a better mark is in the AFL than Aaron Norton. Um, so, yeah, the tools are there. If it all gels for them and, and they get a bit of luck, yeah, they're in the eight and they are doing damage. So, um, fantasy-wise, spoken about McCray, I'm a big fan. Um, Dunkling, maybe. Um, but, there's yeah, there's a lot to like about the Western Bulldogs. They've got a stack of talent. For me, if they get a breakout season from Tim English, they could be pushing that top four jet. Oh, yep, yep. And he's 
it's it's a matter of when for Tim English. Mm-hmm. It's not some. Um, there's no doubt about his his the quality he's going to produce. Um, so yeah, that's a fair point. I I didn't think of him that that um, tightly. Is it too soon? Probably not. Actually, he's um, more weight, more confidence, and um, you know more damage on the field. So that was a little bit of crystal ball stuff from Jeff and I. Um, you can either disagree or agree. But what we are looking at there is trying to predict what the 2020 season will look like from each team and whether that will impact us from a fantasy perspective. Um, once again, if we could have forecast Melbourne last year, we may have avoided, or at least me at, at this stage, Angus Brayshaw for quite a few weeks in our team. Uh, before we close this podcast, if you would like a chance of scoring a plus six podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out on Twitter. We'll give a f- we'll give a few away towards the end of preseason. On that note, we'll wrap up this podcast. Thanks for tuning in.